Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now bring you pro-life activism from creation to death with Jim Sedlak. Hello and welcome to pro-life activism from creation to death. This is the program for all those who are interested in restoring a culture of life to the United States. Every week we bring you up to date on the latest happenings across the United States. And on some occasions, uh, we have guests on our show to explain uh, things that are going on in their area of expertise in the pro-life movement. And today on our show, we're going to have two lawyers from New York uh, who are going to fill us in on a lawsuit that they have filed there uh, against the Reproductive Health Act in the state of New York. And we'll get to them in just a couple of minutes. Uh, before we do that, we want to begin our program the way we always begin our program, and that is by asking you to say a Hail Mary with me to ask our Blessed Mother to shower God's graces on all involved in today's program so that our discussion will allow us to understand and to get uh, what God and Mary want us to get at this moment. And so if you would join me, please. Hail Mary. Full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Thank you so much for saying that prayer with me. It is always a good idea whenever you are starting a new activity during the day to call on our Blessed Mother and on Jesus to. Bless what you are doing so it turns out the way that Jesus wants it to turn out. Okay, I'm, we're going to get in right into our show today. It's it's a uh, uh, fascinating discussion of, of a lawsuit that has been filed in, in the state of New York, and we'll get into that. It has to do with the Reproductive Health Act. Uh, and if you don't recall that, it was an act signed into law by Governor Andrew Cuomo in New York two years ago. In, on January 22nd, 2019, uh, and it's done a, a lot of harm, and that's that's really what we're going to be talking about. My my two guests today are two lawyers from New York. Uh, one is Kristen Civiletto, who has more than 26 years of experience in all phases of litigation and arbitration matters in both the state and federal court level. She is currently counsel of record in multiple high-profile mass toxic tort cases pending in federal and state courts. Ms. Cibaletto has been an adjunct member of the faculty at the University of Buffalo Law School for more than 18 years. Uh, Kristen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jim, and good morning. Good morning. Uh, let me just introduce Michelle here. Uh, the second lawyer that we have on, on our show today is Michelle Sterles. Michelle Sterlice is the executive director of Feminist Choosing Life of New York, a human rights coalition. Uh, Sterlice is an experienced children's attorney who for years represented children in the in integrated domestic violence part of the New York State Supreme Court. She is also a former federal judicial law clerk and assistant to the principal administrator to the Alternative Dispute Resolution Program for the United States District Court in Western New York. Uh, she is currently serving as a special counsel to the Women's Alliance Against Violence. Michelle, welcome to our program. Well, thank you so much, Jim. Thank you for giving us this opportunity. First of all, I mentioned that, that you're filing a, a lawsuit or have filed a lawsuit 
against the Reproductive Health Act. Could you tell me what is this lawsuit all about? Absolutely, Jim. And this is Kristen. Um, well, we filed this constitutional challenge to New York's Reproductive Health Act on behalf of victims of domestic violence and others. Many of your listeners will remember when the Reproductive Health Act was passed in New York State in 2019 uh, because the World Trade Center Tower was lit up pink in celebration supposedly of this law, as well as other bridges and landmarks in New York City. So some people associate it with that event. But the Reproductive Health Act changed New York law in ways that harm women and dehumanize children, including the clients that we represent in this lawsuit. Our clients, these plaintiffs, and the classes they represent, they are already in vulnerable situations. But now, because of this law, we think they're at a greater risk. And that's the, the gist of what this lawsuit is about. Now, what I would love to talk about, Jim, and I, and I think this is something that really is important with regard to your show, is really how does this law harm women and these unborn children or born children? First of all, the Reproductive Health Act eliminated all criminal penalties for the killing of an unborn child. Now, let that sink in. Even a wanted child who is near to the time to be born, let's say a woman is walking down the street who is pregnant and she is attacked by a criminal assailant. If that baby and the mother are killed, there is only one murder charge, not two. Now, that is a change that changed about 200 years of New York penal law. So it's quite stunning when you look at the implications of this law. Now, what's important, there's now no deterrent for attacking a pregnant woman who, again, we know that pregnant women are already in a vulnerable position. We know that they are targets because there are partners, there are people who don't want that baby to be born, for example. You know, we know we represent women who are in exactly that situation. But now, when that baby is harmed, there is no way for women to obtain justice in New York State. It strips them of that ability to pursue it. It's just one way that the law harms women. And until you start digging into the specifics of this law and looking at some of the fallout, you don't understand how significant it is to remove something from the criminal code. And now there is no way to hold a killer accountable. If you have the situation, even with an abortionist who uh, kills the baby in, in some way, I mean, you know, we had Gosnell who who was doing abortions and um, if the baby uh, hadn't died, he would he would break their necks or he would suffocate them or whatever, and eventually got charged with that. You're saying in New York right now, it's, it's pretty much free game. That's correct. The charge would stem from any harm that he visited upon the woman. And a lot of people will say, well, why don't we just add on years to a jail term? But that is a separate wrong, the killing of a viable unborn child. And when you think about it, you know, we're essentially telling women who have suffered that kind of loss that the baby within them is not a human being worthy of justice. It's an incredible level of disrespect, even if you look at it just from that standpoint. We have a number of women in New York State, just since this law was passed, who have unfortunately been murdered by either a domestic partner or by an assailant. And again, there's one murder charge, including a situation that happened right after the Reproductive Health Act was passed. And in this situation, it was it was alarming because it was within a few weeks and a woman who was five months pregnant, her name was Jennifer, she was knifed in the stomach by the baby's father. Now, this was clearly a targeted action towards this baby. He did not want her to have this baby. And she's already five months pregnant. She, there were initially two charges of murder because she died and the baby died. But the prosecutor had to withdraw the charge relating to the baby because the Reproductive Health Act had just passed. Now, this is a mother who's 
survived by a 12-year-old son. It, it's horrific. But we saw it again with regard to other women. You know, Tatiana, Anna, Aisha, Lizzie, Vanessa. We cannot forget that these women, all of whom who have, have been killed and their babies were killed, we now cannot seek justice on behalf of that unborn child because of the reproductive health. If I may, can I uh, interject just a few points? I wanted just to highlight that um, numerous studies show that pregnancy itself increases women's risks of being lethally assaulted uh, by a current or former intimate partner. And it's important to note, too, that homicide is a leading cause of death for pregnant women. And studies also show that um, in order to effectively reduce pregnancy violence, the state needs a comprehensive, coordinated effort to reduce the rate of pregnancy violence. But instead, New York State, with enacting the Reproductive Health Act, removed a crucial tool of deterrence for uh, pregnancy violence. And I could say that, you know, domestic violence um, has increased um, against New York women since passage um, of the RHA. And when we look at, and why, again, Kristen uh, said it so so eloquently, and that is the RHA really repealed uh, New York's longstanding fetal homicide law, um, which allowed for viable unborn children to be considered um, a, a potential victim of homicide. Uh, so as, you know, Kristen um, again said that if a third-party criminal assailant and studies show their usually intimate partner, uh, it's usually in the context of intimate partner violence, dies because of an attack, uh, that abuser is not held accountable for the death of that unborn child, whether it's wanted or unwanted. I myself am the survivor of domestic violence, and I don't talk about it often, but while I was pregnant. Um, my husband at the time tried to push me down the stairs. And if my wanted unborn child had died, there would be no way under the Reproductive Health Act for me to have held him accountable for the death of my wanted unborn child, who's now you know 30 years old, right? We know that the literature is also replete with understanding that criminal laws deter harmful conduct. And fetal homicide laws are no exception. Right. And as a pro-life feminist, um, we also um, see that by decriminalizing the killing of children by a third party criminal assailant, the RHA, it deprives women right of their First Amendment right to petition the courts. We know for red dress of grievance. But what it also does is it demeans women. So when the law says that your wanted unborn child is so irrelevant, that he or she can be murdered without fear of prosecution, the status of women as mothers is diminished. If I'm listening to the two of you correctly, um, it doesn't make any difference the age of the unborn child. The unborn child could be eight months, eight and a half months, uh, just about ready to be born and still has no protection. Is that right? That is correct. Now, before yeah, the RHA it, it, was passed, yeah, um, yeah, before before. The was passed there was protection for a baby that was greater than, I believe, 20 weeks gestation. You know, there's a, a lot of talk about what a viable unborn child is, and I, I think that's probably a really good point to focus in on. Well, Michelle mentioned a viable unborn child. The court, Supreme Court has held that viability is a medical determination. That is the point where a child can live outside the womb, you know, with or without medical assistance, but there is a reasonable chance of survival of that child. Now, when Roe versus Wade was passed and when the original New York law, abortion law, was in place, we were looking at about 24 weeks. But the time for viability creeps up a week or so about every decade because of advancements in medical science. We know that viability at this point is at least at the 21-week mark. 
So 21 weeks, a child can um, possibly survive outside the womb. And again, with or without medical assistance. And that is significant because the New York Reproductive Health Act does break down the grounds upon which an abortion can be had. So for example, up until 24 weeks, which includes viable unborn children, you can have an any reason or no reason abortion in New York, right? So not only now is it pre-viable children, which is what Roe versus Wade covers, but it is also viable unborn children can be terminated for any reason or no reason up to 24 weeks. Now, after 24 weeks up to birth, the Reproductive Health Act essentially says that an unborn child, 24 weeks to birth, can be terminated when an unspecified healthcare practitioner, not just a physician, determines that the abortion is necessary to protect the mother's life or health or the child's not viable. Now, here's the problem. Reproductive Health Act does not define necessary. It does not define health. And, and in fact, this will probably come as a, a shock to some of your listeners. There is not even any direction as to who is a healthcare practitioner, aside from the fact that it's somebody licensed under Title VIII of the education law, acting within the scope of their practice. So these ambiguities put women at even greater risk. It makes no sense whatsoever to have this level of ambiguity in a law that is this important. You know, a lot of people will focus on Roe versus Wade. It's important to remember that Roe versus Wade focused on that pre-viability so-called right to an abortion, which now has been changed, by the way, to an interest, a privacy interest in a pre-viable abortion. But New York State went even further and allowed that type of, you know, wide open right to a viable unborn child. And there's no, no right to kill a viable unborn child anywhere in U.S. jurisprudence. I think it's important to note, Jim, that, um, and, and Kristen said this, and I'll just say it in, a, in another way, and that is this challenge to the Reproductive Health Act under the U.S. Constitution is asking the court to recognize rights and interests, again, for viable unborn children. And as Kristen said, too, I mean, after 24 weeks, the RHA permits aborting viable fetuses for what may be interpreted as broad non-medical health reasons, including a woman's age or familial status, right? An absence of threat to a mother's life or a serious risk to her physical health. There is nothing in U.S. abortion jurisprudence, including Roe versus Wade, as Kristen said, that confers upon any person a right to kill a viable unborn child. And just lastly, I want to make it clear that the, the, the challenge is saying that the 14th Amendment's guarantees are expansive enough to include viable humans in utero, right? Current medical knowledge clearly compels their inclusion. These are human beings. Uh, I agree with you on, you know, on what you're talking about in terms of Roe v. Wade. Of course, the companion piece uh, to that Doe v. Bolton stretched things by, by defining dangers to health to, to include financial health and, and a whole lot of other categories that, that broadened it beyond what Roe v. Wade uh, had said. What you're talking about here in New York is is just open season on any preborn child or unborn child. And I know at the time that the bill was signed, there was some speculation that it might also be used if a child is born alive after an abortion, that the abortionist may even kill the child after the child is born. 
Is that correct, or do I have wrong information on that? Well, I, I know Kristen could speak to this, but it's definitely there's no no one's allowed to kill a child once they've been born. I mean, that's clearly continues to be considered murder. But Kristen, you can best speak to uh, the challenge in regards to children who survive a botched abortion. Yeah, I think that's where uh, you know some of the maybe confusion or the, the the concern comes in, and that is when we have a child who survives abortion, and there are children who survive abortion. They they exist. How do we classify that? And then what type of rights would attach to that child? Before the Reproductive Health Act, there was a requirement that during a later term abortion, a second physician had to be present to take control of the health of that uh, child if the child survived. There is no longer a requirement for a second physician. And in fact, there's no longer a requirement for a physician at all. It only has to be a healthcare practitioner. And again, we have very little direction as to what that healthcare practitioner's uh, competency should be, training, background. We have no idea. So, so that's that a very good question. And, you know, Jim, you brought up to an excellent point. Health in the Reproductive Health Act, like many other state acts, is undefined. But in that companion case you referenced, we know that health could potentially include these factors like physical, emotional, psychological, familial, the woman's age, we're pretty confident that New York State will interpret health as broadly as possible, like Doe versus Bolton. The sponsor of the bill has already indicated as much on one of her websites. That is one other aspect that we are going after. We want that definition limited to the life of the mother or to serious physical harm if there's to be any type of post-viability termination. You know, obviously, we don't want to see any child terminated, and, and this is a very tricky area. But looking at this from a legal standpoint and, you know, the best way to go forward, we think that this is a very strong argument. Uh, Michelle had referenced the fact that we are looking at the 14th Amendment. This will be groundbreaking. We're asking the Supreme Court, if we get that far, to recognize what we think are already existing rights for a viable unborn child. They meet the definition of a human being. Medical science indicates they're human beings. If they're not human beings, what are they? Now, have you already filed the lawsuit or is this something you're considering filing? No, we have filed. We filed it on January 12th. We filed it against the New York State governor, the attorney general, the head of the Medicaid department, the head of the Department of Health. These are all officials that we believe had some hand in authorizing or approving or not voiding a rule that really is harming women and children. So they have been served. They will have an answer that will be filed likely in March. And we're, you know, we're expecting a, a battle and we're ready. What are the things that you're asking for in the lawsuit that to happen if, if you win the lawsuit? That's a great question. This is a very complex lawsuit in terms of what we're seeking and who we're filing it on behalf of. So we're doing a couple things. First of all, we want for the court ultimately to recognize the fact that viable unborn children are human beings. And for that reason, their lives cannot be uh, terminated in the absence of something extreme, like the mother's life or very serious physical harm at that stake. That recognition is very important. We're also seeking to have the rights of women vindicated and children because there's no right to redress for the taking of a, a viable unborn child. Essentially, a right to redress is found in the First Amendment, and it's the right for some kind of meaningful recourse. And, you know, the ability to pursue a legal action for a wrong that has been done to you. And we believe that's been taken away and stripped away from both the mothers and those viable and born children who are killed. 
So we want that First Amendment right to redress to also be recognized by the court. Now, there's a couple other moving parts here. We uh, represent a physician who does not have a lot of direction as far as what the Reproductive Health Act would require. So because of its lack of clarity, what is health? What is necessary? Who is a healthcare practitioner? We would like the court to declare portions of the Reproductive Health Act void for vagueness. Okay. We also have a portion for abortion survivors. And, and again, you know, they exist. But in this situation, there's no longer any protection in place with that second physician requirement. And we believe that is also a violation of constitutional rights. How does it affect other states? You know, right after the Reproductive Health Act was passed, our governor here in Virginia, who happens to be a pediatrician, tried to defend what New York did. And so he went on a radio show here and explained how if a handicapped child is is born, that there is a procedure where the doctor just makes the child feel comfortable and then has a discussion with the mother as to whether or not they're going to kill the child or end the child's life. If this is if a child is, is born um, as after a, an attempted abortion. So it was a failed abortion. The child is still alive. He went on radio and explained the process that happens to make a decision as to whether to let the child live or, or to kill the child. How is this, you know, what's going on in New York and, and what you're doing? How does this affect other states? How is it going to affect the rest of the country? Well, first of all, with respect to these viable unborn children, again, 21 weeks to birth, we are asking the court to recognize existing rights, human rights, you know, foundational, fundamental rights, a right to life, a right to liberty. And if we get to the point where the Supreme Court makes that declaration and that recognition, then that would have an impact nationwide. Now, that doesn't mean it would overturn Roe versus Wade. What it does mean is that these viable unborn children would have a right to live. They're now recognized as human beings. And that has profound impacts on our culture. We already recognize certain legal rights for viable unborn children. You know, they can inherit. Sometimes they're the subject of an order of protection from somebody who is trying to harm a woman. Um, so it's not unusual to recognize rights for a viable unborn child. However, we're asking the court to recognize these fundamental rights, this provides right to liberty. So that would be the first way it will impact states across the United States. That would be a nationwide recognition. New York State, you know, dials itself as a progressive leader. It wants other people to emulate it. So to the extent that we can show that it's not going to pass constitutional muster, we're hoping that other states then also likewise reverse their policy. And also, Jim, and I think it's probably important to point out, this is a very historic challenge because an abortion law or Reproductive Health Act law has never been challenged in this manner. Children and women are violence this challenge to a reproductive health act when you think about it just from a you know kind of a cultural standpoint it's historic from that standpoint we're in a new posture with this case previous cases were always challenging laws that restricted abortion and so that's where you see Roe versus wade and doe versus bolton and all the subsequent jurisprudence this is the reverse this is a wide open statute that now children and women are going after for violating constitutional rights. If you were to succeed, what would that do to the the New York law? Again, that's a great question. I think at the end of the day, there's a couple of things that could happen. One is that the court recognizes that these viable unborn children, and that is 21 weeks to birth, have rights, which has never been squarely put before a court, and that those fundamental rights. 
So that would be the first and most important thing. We also think that the law needs some clarity. What are these definitions of health? Is it limited to physical health? At the end of the day, we believe it should be limited to the mother's life or to serious physical health. And those that would be the time when an abortion could be permitted post-viability. With respect to these on-demand any reason abortions, that has to be pared down to only the pre-viable stage of life. And again, I don't want to see any child aborted, but in terms of consistency with Roe versus Wade, that law at least has to comply with Roe versus Wade, which again dealt with pre-viability and rights in that realm. New York has consistently said, well, this law just codifies Roe versus Wade. It does not. It goes further by allowing these on-demand any reason abortions up until 24 weeks past viability. At the end of the day, we want to see that scaled down. We want to see more clarity in the law. We want to see the abortion survivors have that second position present. And we want to see the rights recognized for viable and more children. We want to make sure that there are criminal penalties for the killing of a viable unborn child. Even if they support abortion, if they support the Reproductive Health Act, I don't think there's any person that would support the lack of a criminal penalty for the killing of an unborn child who is wanted. So are you uh, asking in this lawsuit that the abortion be moved out back into criminal law and out of the, uh, the, the purview of the health department? Or is that just something that would have to follow later? Yeah, I mean, it's essentially framed a little bit differently, and that is this change is void. What New York did is it redefined who is a person for purposes of homicide law and basically said in order for you to be a victim, you have to be somebody who is born and is alive. And we want that struck down. I think it's important to make clear that the challenge is not interested in penalizing women. The RHA, you know, really gutted abortion from the criminal code. So there was a blanket removal. Uh, and so a, a part of that blanket, you know, uh, non-nuanced removal, you had a removal, again, of the fetal homicide law. Uh, and um, But I just want to make it clear that, uh, you know, the challenge is not interested in penalizing, punishing, uh, criminalizing, even a self-administered abortion, for example. You know, no one's interested in, in, in punishing, again, a woman or having her criminally charged, for example, if she performed an abortion on herself. Christine, I don't know if you want to speak with, to that. No, I think that's a great point. I mean, part of this lawsuit is an initiative of both the Thomas More Society and the Women's Alliance Against Violence. That alliance was created to challenge state laws that you know, escalate violence against women and children, including children in utero. But that's the point, because it's respectful of women. It's respectful of life. We're not interested in instituting a, a procedure where women are punished. But when a criminal assailant or a domestic partner takes the life of that child, that has to be recognized as a wrong, because it is. It's murder. You know, these are two organizations that are dedicated to the preservation of life. And so there's that consistency and, and a consistent life ethic that I think is really important to keep our eye on that ball. You know, when, when the, the Cuomo signed the law and lit up the World Trade Center there and, and all the celebration was going on, this whole thing was proclaimed as a triumph for women's rights. And I'm sure there, you're still running into people in New York State who, you know, their answer to any objection is, no, 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 you don't understand this Reproductive Health Act was a triumph for women's rights. What do you say to them? You know, here's what I say. 
why should we celebrate actions that harm or degrade pregnant women? You know, the murder of an unborn child, that's a separate and distinct wrong. And this Reproductive Health Act essentially tells women that their wanted unborn child doesn't even matter. And that the unborn baby is not a human being whose death can be vindicated. It lets abusers off the hook. That is not progress. You know, that's not something to celebrate. It's the exact opposite. I often point out to people that these changes are even contrary to the state of policy, the Reproductive Health Act itself on some level. You know, it talks about affirming the fundamental right of those who could be pregnant to choose to carry the pregnancy to term or to give birth to a child. Well, if that's your state of policy, then decriminalizing the killing of a, even a wanted child undermines that policy itself. And I, and I always think about, you know, at least 11 unborn children died at that World Trade Center bombing. And to use that to celebrate, you know, and I say celebrate, and I, and I use that term in a very disgusted way, it is just dehumanizing to me as a woman and I know to many other people. I'm sure Michelle, I, I may even want to add yeah. something to that. Only that, um, from a general perspective, you know, women's rights, human rights don't eliminate human beings. Feminism is in inclusive regarding human rights, and human beings are not property, you know, to be bought, sold, or disposed of, even as women see fit. You know, women or men it's not a, don't possess a human right to, to kill. And, you know, and all of this discussion brings up even another way, too, to think about how this harms women. Now that abortion, not only in New York, but now in other states, is becoming wide open, you know, essentially from the time of conception all the way until birth, there are grounds now to terminate a child in many states, not just New York. The problem is we are now opening up a window where women can be vulnerable to coercion or pressure from domestic violence uh, from partners who are violent. So now it's not just a, you know, 20 week window, 24 week window. Now it is a 40 week window where this could occur. And we know the figures. Again, we represent women who have been in these situations. That's just yet another way that this law and numerous other state laws harm women. And, and Kristen, I just wanted to add to that to say that, I mean, there are numerous studies that show victims of domestic violence, victims of intimate partner violence, and victims of sex trafficking are indeed forced or coerced into aborting. It happens. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the questions, obviously, what's going on in the United States in terms of abortion these days, we now have a new person in the White House um, who wants, uh, along with the vice president, to uh, you know, never saw an abortion they didn't like, I, I really think. Is this going to affect the lawsuit, do you, do you think, or are you just limited to New York? Or uh, is it going to encourage other states to, to pass laws like, like New York did? Yeah, it's, it's an excellent question. Again, I mean, Americans are deeply divided on this issue. But I think the important thing is that this is not necessarily an issue where somebody is pro-life or not pro-life. The focus going forward, I believe, is really going to be on these viable unborn children, these 20 week to birth uh, time periods and, and you know gestation periods, because most people are you know rather united on the fact that a baby that looks like a human being that looks like a baby indiscriminately killing those babies is problem. And so as this issue winds its way through the court system, we're going to see a Supreme Court that starts looking at a little bit more detail. For example, you could leave Roe versus Wade in place and still recognize the rights of viable unborn children. And I believe that's where we're headed. Now, politically, I think things will only become more divided 
because we have rhetoric that's really rooted in, you know, this or that. I, I see the rhetoric changing, especially with the new administration. You know, it's no longer about abortion being safe, legal, and rare. It's about these are rights. These are health care options. This is normal. They're trying to normalize the idea of abortion. Culturally and politically, that's where I see the impact of this administration. But legally, we're going to start refining and focusing on these post-viability assessments. And hopefully work down after, after you, you are successful there uh, so that we can yeah. eventually protect all the preborn children uh, from their moment of creation um, until birth. And then, of course, after birth, but until birth, um, because that's, you know, God created them all and he created them when they were very little. Uh, one cells. And, uh, you know, ultimately we have to, to win it all. But I understand you're, you're looking at a specific set of laws and a specific vulnerability that you see. And you're trying to take advantage of that to at least um, get it back to where it was before the the, uh, the Cuomo's and, uh, you know, did what their things. But yeah. I think it, it even goes it even goes beyond that, Jim. And I and I appreciate your recognition that this is in fact an incremental approach. You know, as it, it's uh, the, your uh, you know, the pro life movement recognizes unborn children from the moment of fertilization, you know, all the way through birth as as human beings. And and we're focusing here on viable unborn children, and those are those unborn that can live with or without medical intervention outside the womb. The RHA, though, completely, as, as we've said now, you know, dehumanizes all unborn children. And so we're saying that the United States Constitution, at minimum, needs to begin to rehumanize unborn. And let's at least start with viable unborn children. I understand. You're, you're facing that law. You know, you're trying to you're trying to get back to, to where you were three years ago. With, but I with think some we're also trying, though, Jim, it, 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 it would go beyond in the sense that if the United States Supreme Court recognizes rights and interests for viable unborn children, that's the law of the land, right? So they're, they're no, they're, so that would mean that no state in the nation could allow for the wanton killing of a viable unborn child. Right. I don't know if you want to add to that, Kristen. Yeah, no, those are excellent, excellent points throughout. And, and I agree that, you know, this takes a little bit of good understanding. A lot of people look at the Reproductive Health Act and they don't understand the implications but that's why it's important in other states, as new legislation is being proposed, people need to dive in and start to understand what are the implications? What does this mean for me? What does this mean for women and children? And New York is the first of many. We know that other states are already either proposing or have just passed legislation that is similarly wide open like this. So this will have implications across the nation on a couple different levels, including the recognition of those viable and born children's rights that we are seeking. This has been a, a, a great discussion. Uh, I think uh, my audience should know a lot more about uh, what, what the Reproductive Health Act in, in New York is is uh, about and, and, and the real damage that it has done and the danger of it spreading to other states. Uh, we only have a few minutes left, so what I would like to do is give each of you a minute to just kind of sum up what you have to say. If there's the places that you want people or websites you want people to go to to find out more or whatever, please let, let my audience know. So why don't we um, start um, with um, um, Michelle and then we'll go to Kristen. 
Um, I, I just wanted to really thank you, Jim, for this opportunity um, and wanted to make clear that the Women's Alliance Against Violence is an initiative of the Thomas More Society. And the Thomas More Society is a national public interest law firm um, dedicated to promoting um, human life, including unborn human life. And again, that the Women's Alliance Against Violence was created um, to challenge state laws like the RHA that destructively um, impact um, women and children laws that increase the risk of violence against women and children, including children in utero. Yes, and and this is Kristen. And Jim, I want to thank you. For well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, yes. No, not at all. But you have, you know, your tireless efforts on behalf of the unborn children. It's amazing. And I want to thank you for your hard work. And I really encourage your listeners to stay engaged like you do. Every week you are offering updates. Stay engaged. Know what is coming down the pipe legislatively in your state. You know, this law never should have passed. I think it took some people by surprise. So I really encourage people. You know, sometimes as Christians, we want to, you know, we, we pray about things. But when we pray about things, we're, we're seeking direction in those next steps. And those next steps, that's the action part. You know, we are the hands and feet of Christ. And so really taking that opportunity to inform ourselves, to call our representatives, I cannot stress enough how important that is because this machine is rolling. And we have numerous other states that are about to do what New York State is doing. So I'm just going to encourage people, stay engaged. And I thank the two of you for coming on our show today and, and really tearing back the curtain on, on what's going on in New York and how terrible uh, that law is it's been there for two years and then you're describing all of the problems and all of the problems that that uh, the dangers that women face because of that law so thank you so much for going on and as you have developments on this law over the next few months or whatever uh we'll get you back on and and you can talk about how you're doing that was the uh, the two uh, lawyers who are pursuing the case against the reproductive health act in in new york state both of them in uh, working uh, in tandem with the with the Thomas More Society, which is one of our our great pro life legal entities here in the United States, and if you don't know, they are the same law firm that is defending David Daleiden in his uh, battle with Planned Parenthood over the uh, the videos that he recorded uh, that clearly showed that Planned Parenthood was selling baby body parts in violation of the law, and they took the information, made it public. Uh, we're hoping that the attorney general at that time in California would go after Planned Parenthood. Unfortunately, the attorney general was Kamala Harris, who didn't go after Planned Parenthood, but instead went after the undercover investigators, which never happens, uh, who filmed the material and, and actually had the proof of the illegal activities. And of course, Kamala Harris was rewarded by becoming a United States senator, and then after only a very short time in the United States Senate, is now vice president of the United States. And so you, you see what the other side does to push their agenda and to reward those who maybe violate their, their own codes of, of conduct in, in the positions they have in order to protect Planned Parenthood. And that's, it's the facts. It's what's there. It's, it's clear for anybody to see. So I, I thank you for, for listening to the program today. And we're going to end our program now by simply asking our Blessed Mother, Mary, please spread the effect of grace of thy flame of love over all of humanity now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Thank you so much for listening.